Western Wall Prayers, 40 Days of Prayer for You at the Kotel, is a project of Kolel Tfilat Moshe, supporting families and Torah learning in Jerusalem. In gratitude for your donation, we pray 40 days for you at the Kotel, the Western Wall. For generations, Jews in Jerusalem have traditionally made this pilgrimage to pray for marriage, healing, children, income, and many other heartfelt requests. Visit westernwallprayers.org. That's westernwallprayers.org. Shalom and welcome to all of you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, and Israel. This is Ray Patterson. You're listening to the Noahide Nation Show and my good friend Adam Penrod and co-host. Come on in here. How hey, you Ray. How you doing? I'm well. You doing all right? I'm doing pretty well. If I, if I were, you know, if this were an Arnold Schwarzenegger workout video, the, the level of my being pumped up is so high <laughs> that Arnold wouldn't be able to keep up with me. <laughs> Well, uh, Arnold's got some difficulties of his own at this point in his life. So. Well, you know, he chose to become governor of California. Yeah, he, he he wanted the problems. He's got the problems. He's got the problems. But right. anyway, it's good to be here again. It's wonderful to have you folks with us. And, you know, certainly we want to thank you for always joining us from week to week for our Noahide Nation show. And we also want to thank uh, Arut 7 and, and Israel National Radio. They have taken a monumental step in allowing this show to be a part of an Orthodox Jewish organization. Absolutely. And, you know, it's definitely a commitment on their part to get Torah to the nations. And Adam and I are just beside ourselves to, to have the opportunity to be part of that. Very excited, yes. Well, and today, Adam, we were talking about uh, uh, getting into you know some deeper thoughts on these Noahide laws, as many of our listeners have requested, and we want to do a, a continuation of a previous show that we did on idolatry, because let's face it, it's the single biggest and most important, and probably first to always remember of the Noahide laws is not to commit idolatry. I mean, if we were to do a ranking system of, of top ten things not to do in the Torah, I would think I would say that this one probably ranks up there as number one. Do not have any gods before the one God of Israel. Absolutely, and you know when you think about you know statements from uh, rabbis such as if if you're willing to commit idolatry, you're willing to violate any of the other commandments far more easily. It definitely goes to show us the significance of not committing idolatry, and also it should be a given that you don't want to commit idolatry because if you're committing idolatry, you're not having a relationship with your creator. Well, you know, and, and when we talked about this previously, one of the things that we said, and I think it's, it's, it's true, is that if you're going to violate the unity of God, the oneness of God, then naturally what that leads to is violating the other laws in some way. Perhaps not all of them, not at the same time, perhaps not all at once, but eventually. Well, and I think it's important to remember also in, in the Rambam, uh, speaks of this, uh, you know, very candidly in his, his Mishnah Torah, that keeping the seven laws of Noah, uh, though admirable, is is not very helpful in terms of a relationship with Hashem because you must keep these because Hashem gave them, not because they have any 
intellectual sanity to them. In other words, uh, because you understand them rationally and they make sense, that I'm going to go ahead and keep them. That makes you a very wise individual. It does not make you one of the pious among the nations. Right. And therefore, once again, we're right back at not committing idolatry. You know, this was Dr. Golding's point when we had him on the show, as he told us that, uh, you know, in fact, if we're going to be the righteous, if we're going to have our share in the world to come, that there's got to be more to this than just saying, this is a great idea. These Noahide laws are a great idea. Anything that Hashem wants us to do, it's a great idea to do it. What's the problem that we face, Ray, with with uh, with with, with, with uh, following what God wants? Well, sometimes we don't know what He wants, <laughs> and hopefully today we'll give everybody a little bit more of a clue as to what's going on. Yeah, and, and and I would say it's an imperative. You you must know what He expects from us, and as it says in the Torah, when the Hebrews received. The, the Torah at Sinai, what did they all say? In one loud voice, we will do and we will hear. So it's imperative that you put yourself in, a, in an intellectual understanding position to be able to do the do part. And right. then you can even hear from Hashem because now you've got the relationship going. So people, it's now time to hear so that you can do. I know you're, I know you're all sitting out there going, Ray, Adam, we are committed to doing. Now let's hear. Well, <laughs> hear, oh, peoples on the radio. Um, I think, that, the, I think that, that one thing that we can do that's going to help us apprehend this notion of God's unity, of his, of his oneness, right? Apprehend. What, what does it mean to apprehend something? If a cop goes out and he apprehends a criminal, what has he done? He has kept that criminal from getting away. That criminal can't get away. When we talk about apprehending the unity of God, what are we saying? We're saying we want to make that, that, that idea or that knowledge of God's oneness so concrete in our minds that it can't escape from us. And if that, if that knowledge, that understanding is concrete in our mind and it can't escape from us, guess what we're not going to do? We're not going to commit idolatry. That's what we're all about here today. So three things, three areas I think that we can focus on today that's going to help you when you get into it, you know, it's almost like um, it's almost like we're 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 doing a show today on, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Foxworthy used to do the series. Of, you know, you might be a redneck if you know. We're going to be doing a show today. You might be a pagan if right. We're going to show you how to identify, you know, pagan ideas and how we're going to do that. Not by giving you a bunch of negatives. We're actually going to give you some things to know that. And if you know these things, then when you see them out in the real world, you'll know. Maybe that's. Paganism. Maybe that's idolatry. Okay, so these three things that we're talking about. Number one, God is alone. Number two, God does not have a physical body. Number three, God has a unique identity. If you can take a hold of these ideas, and, and as we explain them, if you can start to make them part of your, uh, your mental vocabulary, then, my friends, I think that you will uh, be inoculating yourself against um, a lot of the idolatry that's out there in the world. I, I can't help but agree, and in fact, I would highly recommend uh, making a note or two, or play this back. You know, download the show and play it back repeatedly, because even though it's only an hour, it's going to be difficult to retain all the knowledge unless you you are continually exposed to it. Hopefully, higher and higher levels as well. Right. And so uh, let's let's go ahead and talk about you know God is alone. How, you know how 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 can this be? And, and I'll kind of start things off here by, by speaking of it in, in really kind of a, in just simplistic terms. 
how do we know that God is alone? Well, we have to think of it in terms of a creator. There, there has to be a creator of all things. Even if you were to believe that there was numerous gods out there, numerous deities, there would still have to be an initial creator in order for that to even exist. Right. So when, when we speak in terms of God is alone, God is alone by the simple fact that he is the creator of all things, and all things only exist by his will to have it exist. Well, you know, and the thing is, is that even if you read the pagan literature, sometimes creation just, they don't really explain how it came about. They don't really tell you who did it. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they say it's from chaos, and and, and, uh, they have a god called chaos, and then everything springs from that. But they don't really tell you if chaos is doing the creating, or things just come out of chaos. They don't you know, tell you exactly what's going on. But I'll tell you that even in the Greek world, when you know, when polytheism was at its, its height, the, the, the Greek philosophers made a lot of fun of this notion that you could actually have multiple gods and anything could actually get done. Anything could be. So the notion of having multiple gods and having a single creation, in a lot of ways, is actually impossible. It all boils down to who created everything. Who is the one creator that we're looking for? Right. And it had to emanate from somewhere. It had to emanate from somewhere and from one source. Why one source? Because there's only one universe. So some of you might be wondering, well, you know, what about the various law? Couldn't there have been multiple gods and they formed a god committee and then out of that they, they, they created everything? Well, it doesn't seem like that that's possible. It doesn't really seem like that that's a likely thing that happened. Um, because if you would have had that, then you know what? We would have started with chaos and we would have maintained chaos. How many times have, have, have committees actually done much in, in the way of being right? How have they ever done anything that wasn't full of division and, 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 and argument and whatever else? So there's always, a, there's always a problem if you're going to try to say that something is the result of multiple creators or, or of a committee of some sort. So there seems to be this notion that there is one God. Even if we, we come from the standpoint, uh, talking slightly philosophically, we don't get too heavily into this because then everybody starts going to sleep and start going, what, philosophy? <laughs> you know, so what we'll, we'll say is really is that, you know, the, the Ramchal, Rabbi Chaim Lozado, talks about in his, uh, in his, his way of God, Dorech Hashem, that it is impossible that there exists more than one being whose, whose existence is intrinsically imperative. Only one being can possibly exist with this necessary, perfect essence, and therefore the only reason all other things have the possibility of existence is that God's will them to exist. What does this mean, intrinsic existence? That means that everything else relies on it. So let's say we had 12 gods, and we have one creation, right? For, for, the, for the one creation, that you, would have to, you, have to, you would have to be able to say at some point, that uh, that creation relies on somebody, and it doesn't rely on anybody else. Especially if you're talking about, again, I don't want to get too much into Greek philosophy, because really, Greek philosophy and Judaism have a tendency of butting heads with one another. But it, it kind of helps explain things a little bit. Um, if you have something such as a first mover, what you're basically talking about is you're talking about something that is ultimately responsible for their being, uh, for, for things coming into being, for things coming to be what they are. If you start talking about intrinsic necessity, you're talking about something that exists 
that requires no other existence to create it. Because when we start talking about an act of creation, if we start if we say God created, but we say that God then owed his existence to another creator, and then to another creator, that one owed his existence, then we have this infinite line of creators that goes through. Exactly. That's not what we want to know. This is called begging the question. When we say, how does everything come to be? And we say, God. And, and then you say, well, you know, who created God? And you go, oh, well, another God. Well, then you haven't answered the question. We don't really know who created anything. Eventually, what you have to say is, is that there was a single source of creation that in and of itself had no other source. So, no other, so, so something that does not have a source of creation for itself, but is the source of creation for other things, we say that, that its existence is intrinsically necessary. What that means is, is that if it, it did not exist, nothing would exist. And that's when we use words such as uh, Hashem is eternal. This is what it means, is that he always was in existence. He, he never was created, will never die. He just always was. And even by the use of the word he, it has a tendency to kind of put him into a box, don't you think, Adam? I mean, uh, yeah. it, it's hard to get away from uh, not limiting the, the reality and the, the truth of Hashem. This is one of the things that the Rambam has, what philosophers call his negative theology. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that, that the Rambam was a very pessimistic person going around going, that'll never work, <laughs> that'll never work. What it means, a negative theology is basically saying, is recognizing what you just said, that language, human language, is limited to such a degree that anything we, anytime we try to give a definition for God, we've misdefined God. We, not mystified, but mis defined right. who God is. Because the moment you say God is strong, what you've then what you've then implied is is that well he's strong, but there might be something out there stronger or there might be something heavier right. than God. So what do you say? You say God is not weak. And when you say God is not weak, you haven't really in any way made a positive declaration about him, but you have removed yourself from the possible error of making a, a definitive statement that you that actually will end up causing you to misunderstand something about God. Right. And this is this is the this is the what we have to you know some of you might say, well you're just playing games. We're not playing games. The fact is is that the reason that you have to be so careful is because people do misunderstand this stuff. It right. happens all the time. That's why the Rambam had to write what he wrote and all the rabbis had to talk about what they talked about because people were misunderstanding things. Right. And I think it's only reasonable to expect that we as as humans we we let's face it we have egos and even if it's at a subconscious level we tend to want to manage everything well god sadly comes into that everything aspect and we do uh, with diligence try to manage god put him into our box and this is also why there are are so many religions because so many people want to manage God that we see a great many rela- uh, religions that were created by people who were worshiping a God that they created that would believe in everything that they believe in. It's very funny. And, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, please. I was going to say, it's very funny that you talk about putting God in a box. So there, there's the other end of the spectrum, which is not putting God in a box so that then it can support your theory. So, for example, if, if I've had conversations with Christians <laughs> where I said God is not a man, right? He says in, he says in Numbers, I think it's nineteen twenty three, he says there is it twenty three nineteen? I think it's twenty three nineteen. He says 
you know, God is not a man, right? And so he said, very plainly, he said, God is not a man. Jesus is a man. Therefore, Jesus could not be God, right? It's impossible by definition. So they turn around and they go, but Adam, are you telling me that, that, that it's impossible for God to be a man? Is it impossible that God could appear as a human being? Now, how dare you limit are, God? Are you limiting God? <laughs> and then you, you know, then you go, wait a second. <laughs> That's not what I was saying at all. What I was saying was that God has told you what He will and will He what He will not do. This is why studying the Torah is so important because you know what? In our imagination, could God appear in a human form? Well, I don't see why not. But the, the point is, is that God says Himself, "I'm not going to do that." I am not going to do that. So that's kind of getting into our next topic, which is the idea of, of God not being physical. I don't know if we want to quite get there just yet. Well, I was just thinking, I remember a teaching from a rabbi on this very question. Only it was a different question, same same topic, though. It, you, know, you mean to tell me that God could create a rock, a boulder, right. so big, so heavy that he couldn't right. lift it? And he would simply respond, well, no, he can't, but he's going to anyway. <laughs> it's like, okay then, because you cannot, because even in that statement, you're putting the limitation. And, right. and we cannot comprehend in our human state as it exists today, who knows what it will be, you know, what it will exist like when, when the, the Mashiach is anointed and all the world knows of Hashem, who knows what knowledge he will give all of us in one fell swoop. But as of today, there is no possible way that we can comprehend the complexities or the enormity of of Hashem, the creator right. of, of all things. But there are things that we can know. Yes. And, we, and, 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 and the things that we can know, we know, we know because God tells, him, tells us this himself. You know, when, I, when, when we made the very bold statement, God is alone, we didn't just say this because philosophically this makes sense. Although we gave you sort of a, a very quick overview of a philosophical argument, really the reason that, that we make this statement is because the Torah says that. The Torah tells us that God is alone. Right. And, it's, and, and that's where we're, we're, we're pulling all this information is out of the Torah, not out of a, a, a philosophical argument. You know, the problem with making a, a philosophical argument is that, for one thing, it takes a lot of intelligence to make a philosophical argument, a lot of intelligence to understand one. But you know what? So a lot of times you'll find out there's somebody more smarter than you. Somebody will have a better philosophical argument. Somebody will understand your philosophical argument better than you do, and they'll see the mistakes you've made. So pinning your, your, your belief on God on that is not really sufficient. What you need to do is you need to say, God tells us about himself, to the degree that we're able to understand it, and to the degree that it helps keep us out of error. And so God tells us, he's alone. There's nobody with him. There's nobody before me. Is there another rock? I know not of one. Right? God right. tells us these things, and uh, there's no need for us to uh, to, to even uh, engage in, in philosophy. But it's, it's nice to kind of understand what this notion kind of looks like in more of a secular sense. But first and foremost, God is alone. Right, and we also have to, you know, again, look at the, the Torah itself, uh, believe that the Torah was written by our Creator, 
and given to Moshe and in turn to Israel. And how do we know this? Well, we know this because the Torah tells us that this that the Torah was written in the finger of God. So the whole Tanakh, the prophets, the writings, anything beyond the Torah itself, the Chumash, the five books, is, and I don't want to use the word irrelevant, because it's not irrelevant by any stretch of the imagination, but it is not. it does not hold the weight that Torah holds. Why? Right. Because this is the word of God. It's from our Creator. And it's just a miraculous thing to even have it, especially given the thousands of years ago that it was actually given that we have the Jewish people to thank and to honor for preserving such a a, a monumental thing. I mean, what a benefit to mankind to have Hashem provide the instruction manual on on how to live with uh, mankind in in a peaceful manner and in harmony, and at the same time, how to have relationship with Him. It's an unbelievable, remarkable work. And, and Absolutely. A gift from Hashem that cannot be and will never be replaced. Absolutely. So I, I don't want anybody to, to, to misunderstand and say that we're making a circular argument here, that we're making a claim that the Torah, you know, how do we know that there's one God, the Torah says so, and therefore the Torah is right, and I believe it. And then that's the end of the argument. Actually, actually, the, the, we're, we're making the assumption that everybody here already has gotten to the point where they believe the Torah is true. Whether the Torah is true or not, that's a completely different uh, show we could do sometime. Uh, right. <laughs> but but what we want, but building from that from that point, this is where we're coming from. So God is alone. God, there's no other God with Him. God has no equal. Right. So if you ever come across a religion that says there's more than one God, God has a partner, God has a friend, God has an enemy equally as powerful than Him. Let me tell you that 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 teaching or that belief does not exist in the Torah. Well, and I'll just kind of uh, wind this up for the first segment because we're getting close to the uh, break. And it has to deal with false prophets, similar to what you're talking about in Deuteronomy, Devarim 13, 2 through 4. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And that answers the question, because let's face it, the world today has uh, over 10,000 recognized religions. Right. How many false prophets do you suppose that means? A few at least. <laughs> at least 10,000. <laughs> yeah. so, but anyway, we're bumping up against the uh, uh, the break, folks, and uh, it just always goes by so quickly, and uh, we appreciate you being with us, and we hope that you'll stick around for the second half. And uh, just as a reminder, to continue to send your emails to Noahide, at IsraelNationalRadio.com. We're going to go ahead and get on out of here for the break. We'll catch you on the other side. See you in a bit. Honey, I've almost installed a new ceiling fan. 
For some jobs, you need a professional. Call Elon White, certified electrician for installations of Shabbos clocks, fans, indoor and outdoor lighting, and everything else. Fluent in Hebrew and English, servicing Jerusalem, Gush Etzion, Judea, and Samaria, and throughout Israel. Call Elon White, 054-635-2618, or email elonwhite at gmail.com. That's E-L-A-N-White at gmail.com. You had them in the States. Now you can have them here at the famous design of Anderson Windows in Israel through El Haaretz Imports. Save on lighting and cooling bills. Preserve the environment. Beautify your home. Buy from the authorized importer at the best price. El Haaretz. American quality. American service. American prices. Visit www.elhaaretz.com. That's E-L-H-A-A-R-E-T-Z.com. Well, welcome back, everybody. We appreciate you sticking around for the second half of the Noahide Nation show here on Israel National Radio. And Adam and I have been discussing idolatry. Big topic. It's a huge topic. This is the thing you want to get right. If you want to serve God and you're serious about serving God, this is the topic you need to be paying attention to. This is the topic you need to be making notes on. This is a topic you need to be studying. Absolutely. In fact, speaking of notes, I would uh, strongly suggest that you make sure you've got those pencils sharpened in a, in a, a piece of paper there because we do want to give you sources for the information. In other words, Adam and I aren't here to tell you, hey, do it because we said so. We're telling you that you must do the homework for yourself. We cannot have the relationship with Hashem for you. You must have the relationship with Hashem yourself. The only way you can do that is by studying what Hashem expects of us as his creation. My friends, that is the Torah. So I'm going to turn it over to Adam because he's got some sources for you here on some of the things we already spoke about in the previous segment. Well, you know, um, if you want to know that God is alone and that I'm not making this up and that this is a clear Torah teaching, let me give you a few verses that talk about that. I want you to write down these verses and I want you to look them up for yourself. Deuteronomy 4.35 and verse 39. Uh, Deuteronomy 32.39. First Samuel 2.2. 2 Kings 19.19. 19, Isaiah 43.10-11. 44.6-8. Chapter 44, verse 24. 45, 5 through 6. 45, 21 through 22. 46, 5. 46, 9. 48, 11. Malachi 2, 10. And Nehemiah 9, 6. Now, by no means is this the, an exhaustive, exhaustive list. We haven't exhausted all of the possibilities that you'll find this in the Torah. I've just given you a few to start you out on. To let you know that God is alone. This is a core idea you need to get in your heads. If you ever come across any teaching that says that God is not alone or implies in some way that there's somebody sitting on the left or the right hand side of God and equally God in some way, well, I want you to go back and I want you to look at these verses and I want you to tell me if that's what the Torah says. Now then, let's get on to our second point. Our second point is that God is not physical. God doesn't have a body, a form, or a shape, or anything like that. 
Right, and this is uh, obviously important, and uh, certainly we're not going to argue with anyone who's going to try and ask a question. Uh, you know, you, are you telling us that uh, uh, God is incapable of being human? Well, <clears throat> that's not the debate, and so we're not even going to go there, uh, even if there are some that have that question. But as far as sources, I've got a couple here for you that God is not a man. And you can refer to Numbers 23.19 and also Hosea 11.9. Again, we know we're giving you these sources pretty quickly, so please go back and download the show yourself and play this repeatedly so that you can get all this information down. So, Adam, why don't you take us into another one of these areas of, of Hashem's uniqueness, our Creator's uniqueness, and how we know that. Right. Well, you know, um, just just to, 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 to wrap up real quick, the that God is not physical. I want you to tell, tell you that a good book to read on this, The Guide for Perplexed, because the Torah sometimes says things in such a way that you might think that God is physical, but it's not. It's speaking in allegory. Read the first several chapters of uh, The Guide for the Perplexed by the Rambam, and that will help clear up some of this question. Because he deals with a lot of these issues where people often get confused at, and he he uh, he shows you how how that's not true. And again, a couple other sources for you would be uh, Deuteronomy four eleven through twelve, also five uh, twenty three, and also First Kings eight twenty seven. So Adam, let's uh, kind of move on here. The time's sure. getting away from us pretty quick. Well, so. I'll tell you that this is probably for me. This is one of the most fundamental ideas that really, if you have this notion in your head. You're never even going to blink at another religion because I'll tell you something that this idea that God is unique, really, it makes everything clear. It makes it clear because God's uniqueness, it's not just that God is unique, but it's that it's that God's relationship with human beings is unique. God chose for himself a unique people and gave them a unique document called the Torah and a unique event called Sinai where in human history this event has never been duplicated because God revealed himself to an entire nation of people. And it is amazing how many religions actually acknowledge it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Christianity and Islam would be nothing without right. without this Sinai event. Exactly. And they're two of the biggest, if not the biggest. Right. So, you know, let's talk about God's uniqueness. And, you know, in, in and of himself, God is unique. In that he, he has a unique uh, oneness, um, his unity is absolutely uh, unique. So we could say that, that there isn't another religion out there that makes a claim of uniqueness of God that Israel can. His unique identity is absolutely necessary, and although there are religions that have claimed to be in some way servants of the same God, like we just said, Christianity and Islam, they can't escape that, that God has established this unique identity that directly ties into the Jewish people. This identity is uniquely tied into the Sinai event, into bringing Israel out of the land of Egypt. How many times does God say, I am the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt? Right? Who am I? God asked, God asked you know, who am I? Right. Right? This is a, an important question you have to ask yourself. So if we say God is not alone, right? Or I'm saying God is alone, that there, that there isn't another God with God, and we say God is not physical... Okay, so far we have 
Christianity in some ways says this, yes, but they're you know a little, little question mark with the Trinity, right? Right, right. And, and then Islam definitely very monotheistic, right? So, right. so we have them kind of front runners here as possible religions that might talk about the same God. Next thing, God is not physical. Well, Christianity then having some problems with the Trinity, but you know they that that you know their intention is to say that's true. Uh, Islam definitely very strictly monotheistic. When it comes to this proof, though, this this idea that, that God has unique identity that is directly tied to the Jewish people, no one else can make this claim. This one right here will tell you if a God that is claimed is a God that was not at the Exodus, if, if, if this God was not the one that brought the Jewish people out of Egypt, he's not the God that, that we're looking for. If this God is, is not the God who has established Israel as his unique people, and has a relationship with them, this is not the right religion. We're not talking about the same God. If this religion claims that God's Torah is not true, or that it was not given at Mount Sinai, or that somehow the Torah we have today is not the same Torah that we had then, this is not the same God that we're talking about. We're talking about a completely different person, because God is intrinsically tied to Israel and the Torah. And he is in his actions of bringing them out of Egypt, performing the miracles he did, and then standing at Mount Sinai, those are identified God. Deuteronomy chapter 4 asks, What other nation has had a God bring them out of the midst of another nation? Name one. Well, I can't, so that's why there's some strange silence. <laughs> exactly. Nobody can. There's only one nation that's ever made that claim. Right. And that's the nation of Israel. So, you know, in, 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 in a very fundamental way, if we're going to want to know who the true God is, the first thing we have to do is, well, who's Israel? Because God and Israel and Torah are tied up. You want to talk about a holy trinity, there you go. God, Israel, and Torah, right? Right. That's <laughs> probably what it that, should be. That, yes, exactly. <laughs> that, this is, and, and God, I mean, it just amazes me that anybody could ever claim that their God is someone other than this one. Because the Tanakh is so clear that God is the God of, of, of the Exodus tonight. Exodus 20, verse 2 through 3, tells us that the God of the Exodus and Sinai is the God who is alone. He is the God who is not physical. It's the same person. Other things for you to look at. 1 Kings 8, 60. 2 Kings 19, 19. Isaiah 40, 18. Isaiah 44, 6 through 8. 44, 24. Hosea 13, 4. Joel 2.27, Malachi 2.10, uh, Nehemiah 9.6, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Who is this God? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Amidah prayer says, the Lord our God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, right? This is, God is associating himself with the three patriarchs. Genesis 17.9, 26.3, verse, 24, uh, verse 28.13, 32.9. And then we have Exodus 3.6. Verses 15 through 16, Exodus 4, 5, 31, uh, 1, and, or 33, 1, Leviticus 26, 42, Numbers 32, 11, Deuteronomy 1, 8, 6, 10, 9, 5, 27, 29, 13, 30, 20, 34, 4, 1 Kings 18, 36, 2 Kings 13, 23, 1 Chronicles 1, 28, 16, 16, 29, 18, 2 Chronicles 27, 36, Psalm 47, 9, 81, 4, 105, 6, verse 9, and verse 42. 
Isaiah 29, 92, 41.8, 51.2. The God that gave the Torah, right? Who is this guy? How do we know that God is the one who gave the Torah, that this is the same God? Deuteronomy 4, verse 5 through 8. Deuteronomy 10, 12, 13. Psalm 81, 4. That the holy, that about the holiness of the Torah. That this Torah is holy and that we should you know, have regard for it. Uh, Psalm 19, 8 through 9. And then verses 7 and 8. Psalm 119, 44, verse 72, verse 97. Verse 155, verse 163, verse 165. The eternality of the Torah. Right, the Torah is forever because it comes from a God who is forever. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty eight, Psalm one eleven seven through eight, and Ezekiel eleven nineteen through twenty. Go back and read those 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 verses, and tell me that there isn't a unique God who is associated with Israel in the Torah. That their identities aren't one and the same. And let me tell you what: if you have anyone who comes upon you and says, "I worship um, the one true God." And that God is not the same God who was at Mount Sinai, and he's not the same God who gave the Torah, and he's not the same God who chose Israel from the nations. That is not the God that you want to worship. And obviously I agree, and I would add that this is only the beginning, folks. (laughs) You want to talk about sources, we have sources. You just heard some of them, and there are many, many others that refer to all of these things. Obviously... In order for you to know that, you have to study it for yourself. And that is what we are suggesting. We're not going to sit here and just give you the sources and read the sources to you. You're going to have to go out and find this out yourself. You have to be willing to take a step. You have to be willing to do and then hear from Hashem. And that's what we're asking you to do. Don't take my word for it. Don't take Adam's word for it. Please do it for yourself. If you can, find a rabbi who is willing to help sit down and study this through with you. They will give you the answers. Torah is life. Your life is in the Torah. My friends, you need to be there with it. It's the only way you're going to have a relationship with Hashem. He tells us, at a minimum, hearing all of these sources, at a minimum, he's clearly saying to us, I want you to know me. I want you, please, to know me. This is me. This is who I am. We need to grab a hold of that. And it needs to be part of who we are, our very essence. That's who we need to be. Genesis tells us he created man in his image. Well, that means that we have the capacity, we have the essence within us to be that close to Hashem. Right. Now, by no means are Adam and I sitting here telling you that, you know, oh, God, it's, it's the God of Israel. Oh, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. All true. All very true. And, and we gave so many sources, so much information that it may sound like, well, maybe he's not the God of anybody else. Right. Well, that's not what we mean at all. Make no mistake, my friends. He is the God of everyone. He is the God of all of his creation, not just of the Gentiles, but also of the animals, also of the, the trees, also of the oceans, also of, the, also of Israel. He created all of us right. for a purpose. Right. Our job is to find that purpose. Kind of like being at the airport. You're a spy at the airport. <laughs> and what's your job? Is check everybody out. Research right. everything. I need to find another spy. That's my job. I need to find out. And I'll guarantee you, when you're willing to, to, to put your mind to it and, and really work at this, you'll find the truth. 
it me, is there in front of you. Let me say this, and, and I want you to. I want this is to help you think. This is this is why we we gave you three things. We said we said if you want to know if you are are, are, are worshiping the right God, if if you want to know if you're committing idolatry, then these three things will help you. If right, number one, God is alone. Number two, God is not physical. Number three, God has a unique identity. I want to tell you that um, we we can actually very quickly go through and give you an example of this. And I'm going to use a model. Now, please, our Christian friends out there, don't think we're picking on you. Um, it's just a very convenient uh, example. Many Noahides have come out of Christianity, a lot of, a lot of our friends. And, uh, and, and, you know, for you, for your sake, we're doing this for your sake as well because we didn't just give you all of these verses to study. We gave you these verses to study and ask yourself a very serious question. Is the God that I worship the true God? Is he the one God? Is he the God of the Old Testament? Is he the God of the Hebrew Scriptures? This is the question we want to ask yourself. And we want you to look at those verses, and we want you to ask this question. Let me, let me ask you this. Let's take each of these points, and we'll see if, if the God of Christianity is, is, is the God of, that, that we're, that, uh, of the Hebrew Scriptures or not. Number one, God says that he's alone. Christianity says that there's the God, the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Does that sound like God is alone? Not to me, no. No, it sounds like there are three and gods. I've, and I've sat in that pew and listened to, the, to that very sermon. So. Now, I, I, know you, I know some of you are out there going, well, homoousia, you know, uh, you know one yeah. S at three personalities. Let me tell you something. Great, if you want God to be schizophrenic and say he has three different personalities, uh, you know, fine. But what I'm going to tell you is, is that the way the, 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 the New Testament paints this idea, if we're going to take it with the Greek theology, read it into it with the Greek theology, then it says... You know, if you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, there's no reason for you to name each of these entities out if they're not three different people, if they're not three different essences. Right. Right? So, the, so, so Christianity on this point fails. Right? Number two, is God physical? Well, Christianity believes that God is, there's the Son of God, and there's the Holy Spirit. If Jesus, was, was, did Jesus have a physical body? Of course he did. He had a physical body. God is not physical. By definition, it's impossible that Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit? It's interesting that every, whenever we have these discussions about God and, and, and God's oneness and, and, and all this, we never talk about the Holy Spirit. Why don't we ever talk about the Holy Spirit? Well, frankly, I'm of the opinion that Christians don't really understand the Holy Spirit. You know, The Holy Spirit is sort of like, if you ever thought about it, just, you just imagine this puff of cloud. That kind of runs around and does things. That's the only thing I could ever think of it as, as a Christian. The, the Holy Spirit is a, a created thing. It is God's active will in the universe. It is not God. I can take, you know, what is, what is spirit? It's really breath, ruach, right? The Hebrew word ruach, right? Is, you can actually say it, it means breath. I can take my breath and I can blow on a piece of paper. I've moved that paper through the power of my breath. Now, I want you to know something. You know, when I blow out, right, that is my breath, but my breath is not me. It's something that I create, and I can right. use it, I can use it to, to, to cool things down. I can use it to move pieces of paper. It's, in a sense, it's, expressing, it's expressive of my will, but it is not me. And this is the, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sort of like almost, it, it manifests itself in, in, in the, the physical world to uh, express God's will. And, you know, a lot of us, and I know I did, 
you know, when I was a, was a, a Christian, is that it would easily come back and say, well, he's the son of God. And yet when we read in Exodus about the Exodus. 3.14. Yeah, he, he tells us that Israel is, is his firstborn son. Right. Well, well on, if yeah. that's his firstborn son, Israel, they're, you know, okay, well, who's the second son? Right. Well, guess what, folks? There isn't a second son. It is only Israel, even though he says it's his firstborn son, but he does say it. So when we use this idea that uh, this Jesus individual was the son of God, yes, he was, because we're all sons and daughters of right. God. Right. Uh, because we're all created from the, that same essence. But he tells us in the physical, Israel is my firstborn. Son. And that makes uh, all the other nations, uh, Jesus, uh, not Jesus, but the Israel's little brothers, right? right. Um, That's a, a good way to look at it. Well, it, it, one more thing, get to our third point, God's unique identity. God is the God who brought Israel out of, out of, out of Egypt through the Exodus, right? I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. Did Jesus bring Israel out of Egypt? Not that I'm aware of. Where does it say his name? Where does it say, you know? It, it doesn't. It doesn't say it anywhere. Secondly, what you quoted earlier in Deuteronomy about the false prophet, mm-hmm. right? Right. It says something very interesting. It says, and this prophet will call them to follow after gods they did not know. Right. When do we ever know God as Jesus? Does God ever introduce himself and say, hello, my name is God, i.e. Jesus? At any point no, in the not, Hebrew Scriptures. No. Never. So you, what you've got here is you, have, is you have a claim that contradicts the Hebrew Scriptures. It's a direct contradiction to the Hebrew Scriptures. And, you know, if you're not realizing that, you need to think a little bit more. You need to do a little more studying. You need to go back and it, you need to find out where is Jesus mentioned in the Hebrew Scriptures. Right. And if he's not mentioned in the Hebrew Scriptures and you're worshiping him, as God, you are committing idolatry. And on a, a final note, you heard me mention that uh, not only is this the God of Israel, but it is essential that we understand that he is the God of all creation. That means you and me, my friends, because you can also read in Torah where it says that he was the God of Shem. Well, Shem was an Noahide. Jacob left uh, his family. And, and went to the Shem and Eber Academy to learn what? The Noahide Laws. Right. So is not. we need to understand that, yes, there's a lot being said here about the God of Israel. We have to understand uh, that he is the God of all of us. We all have our special roles in his creation. To try and deviate from that role only presents chaos, sadness, and, and quite frankly, a hard life. So our best bet is to begin to have that relationship with the true creator of all things so that we can learn what his destiny is for us and begin to carry that out. And and on that note, sadly, we're going to have to, to bring the show to a close because we're going to get knocked out of here again. <laughs> and uh, uh, we want to thank all of you for being here with us uh, on the Noahide Nation show here on IsraelNationalRadio.com. And uh, we want to wish you well, and we look forward to seeing you next week. And in the meantime, please, my friends, always look to the true creator of all things. Always look to the heavens to find him. 
Because I'll guarantee he's always looking out for you. Shalom, Yosea. Shalom. Take care. MikvahCalendar.com is your rabbinically approved personal guide to Torah to Mishpacha observance. Times and dates are automatically calculated and explained in English and Hebrew. Anywhere you are, sunrise and sunset are automatically adjusted. Receive email or text messages for important dates and times. May divine blessings of spiritual and material well-being continue to rain down and permeate your marriage and your home. Visit www.mikvahcalendar.com. That's M-I-K-V-A-H-C-A-L-E-N-D-A-R.com. Oi, we're late to the airport, Harvey. If only I had called Menasha Sofer's airport service. Cut down on time at the airport. Introducing the ultimate airport experience by Menasha Sofer's airport service. The VIP meet and assist shuttle guarantees a completely stress-free traveling experience. Tell them you heard about it here at Israel National Radio. Online at msoferairport.com. M-S-O-P-H-E-R airport.com.